you're able, if you could stand for a moment, just in honor of the word of God. We haven't uh, read the scriptures as uh, we stood before the children would be dismissed, but if you would uh, open a Bible, if you have one, to the book of 1 John, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Jude, if you work your way back, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18 says this. 1 John 3, 11 through 18. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and as you are now seated, the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed for Children's Church with Miss Marla and Miss Kim as they go. So we look forward to the ministry time that the kids have in uh, looking into God's word and the time that they'll have as we spend this time together here uh, looking into God's word. There are sermon notes in your bulletin as we talk about the love of God part two, which you could make an argument that this is the love of God part three. Uh, Last week I was intending to preach this message and then uh, the Lord changed it uh, during the worship time. Um, Following that message two weeks ago now on the love of God as we're in this series of lifting up our low view of God, the higher our view of God, Uh, The higher our worship, the deeper our love for him. Um, And so the higher our view, we've been lifting up our view of God from low to high. And two weeks ago, we talked about the love of God, how God's love casts out our fear, how it initiates the whole idea while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He initiated his love. It's a sacrificial love with Christ. Love as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins to wash us, to bring salvation to us. That his love not only makes us servants, but his love makes us friends. And his love evokes in him and causes him to not just love us, but to like us. We talked about the idea of then, as we get that view of God's love, to receive his love. And I shared how God kind of spoke that to me and showed that to me. Uh, with my grandfather's chair and that place of intimacy to sit with the Lord, sit with the Father to receive his love. And last week we talked about one of those barriers, that barrier of coming out of the shadows and into the light to where we can receive the forgiveness of God and the love of God with the sinful woman in Luke 7 coming and meeting Jesus. 
You know, in that season for me that I shared about two weeks ago and a little bit last week about learning to receive the love of God, it, it was in that season where I was, depending on how you would term this, I was baptized or filled with the Spirit. However you would, would term that, we believe that there is a second work of the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation. It's, second, it's a separate work from salvation where the Spirit of God at salvation comes and he seals us, but there's a second work where the Holy Spirit either comes and baptizes us, however terminology you're gonna use, or he just fills us. There's a, there's a new work, there's a crisis of belief that come, we come to where we say, I can't do this, and we surrender and the Spirit of God comes and fills us. And it was in that season of learning to receive the love of God that that reality happened for me, that the Lord poured out his Holy Spirit upon me in a way that I had never received his Spirit before. And you know, something amazing happened in that time. There was this chief result above all things that came and that was there was a love that filled me. As I received the love of the Father, there was a love that filled me for people that I had never possessed for people before. It, it was like, the only way I could describe it, it was like a magnet <laughs> that drew me irresistibly to people. It wasn't me. It wasn't me saying, I'm a Christian, so I should love. It was like God was drawing me to people and filling me with his love for people. It was a way that I loved that I did not understand before. All of a sudden, I was loving broken people in a way I never had. I was loving enemies in a way that I never had. I was loving, you know, the hard-to-love people, the, the EGRs, you might call them, the extra grace required people. You know, we all have those people that you just have to have a little extra grace for. Those people that it was like, I gotta love, I gotta love, I gotta have some grace for them. I was drawn to them. And the people that were easy to love, there was a deeper love, a love that I had not experienced before. So much so that I began to understand when I began to have hardship in loving people, it was like the lights on a car dashboard would go off and I began to understand, you know what? If I know what it is to love people now. <laughs> and if it's becoming difficult for me to love people, it may be because I haven't been receiving the love of the Father and I need to come back and spend more time in his presence to receive his love so that I can love that way again. Not me loving, but literally him loving through us. See, a high view of God and receiving his love will develop both a love for him in return and awe of his love, a wonder of his love, a way of loving him in return as we love him, but it will also fill us with a love for others. Those two are inseparable. The scriptures talk about it, loving God and loving others. To be so bold as to say that you cannot receive the love of God in a transforming way and not have it affect the way you love others. That if you have a love problem towards people, it may be just simply a reminder and an invitation to come to the Father to receive his love. If we're not loving others, it's warning to us. 
but it's also at the same time warning, it's also invitation. And I hope that we see it that way, that we see it as invitation. It's the Father saying, ah, come, come back into my presence. Come and be with me. Your, Your love tank from me is running low so that we might love others. The reason originally I was gonna do love, the love of God part two is because you can't read about the love of God without it also having so closely connected the love that we have for others. And so that's what we wanna talk about today. We wanna talk about the love of God as we receive it, how it flows out of us for loving others. Three actions this morning that we can take sermon notes in your bulletin as I said. Um, with some extra notes if you want to that will be on the screen. So three actions this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, the first action is this, and that is to know God's command from this passage. Know God's command. What's God's command? Verse 11, this is the message or this is the command you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. The apostle John, the one who laid at Jesus's side <laughs> The one that John says Jesus loved because he received that love, the love of God through Christ. John says that this message, this command that they had, that they had heard it from the beginning. How long back? Well, if you look back to the beginning of the law and the prophets, you see this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Jesus said, if you're going to hang all the law and the prophets together, love your neighbor then too as yourself. So for a first century Jew, they would have known what is this command that they heard from the beginning? It is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is not new information that John is giving to the believers This is age-old, generations, understood teaching. To love one another. Love one another. This command of loving one another, as John unpacks it here in this passage, is evidence of God's love in you. This command to love one another is evidence of God's love in you. Look at what verse 14 says. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. And we can say as well, the intention is our brothers and sisters, other believers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. The larger context of the book of 1 John answers the question of how do we know that we have eternal life? How do we know that we are in right relationship with God? John gives various evidences throughout this letter, such as that if we are are walking with God, that we live in the light. Another evidence is we're not continuing in sin. Another evidence in the end of chapter 3 is we're living according to the truth. But he makes one of these huge evidences that we have eternal life in that we love others. We love others. In chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, he he reiterates this and he says this again. Chapter 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. It's pretty straightforward in these passages. If you are a believer of God in God, if you have been born again, if you have moved from death to life, love is going to be something, love for others is going to be something that marks you. And how do we know what love is? Verse nine, this is how God showed, we shared this two weeks ago. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him, through Jesus. Life is found in Christ. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. This is that initiating love of God and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, the one who pays for our sins and the sin debt. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We could read the rest of that chapter, but the theme is this. When we have come to know God, an evidence of new life in Christ is the love that we have for others. To the point where John says, if we don't love others, it's evidence that we are still in death, not in life. Those who have been born of God and know God will love others. It's the spiritual DNA of a believer. God's command is to love one another. It's evidence of God's love in you, but it's also evidence of who you belong to. It's evidence of who you belong to. In John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus says there, a new command I give you, love one another. This seems kind of contradictory, maybe a little bit to what John is saying, because he is saying, this is an old command, love one another. But Jesus is saying, this is on the night that he was betrayed, at the last supper, he's just washed his disciples' feet, and he says this, I give you a new command. How is this a new command? Because Jesus adds something. Because what they had heard, what Jews, first century Jews knew, and what Jews through the generations had been taught in the law was love one another as you would have them love, love your neighbor as you would have them love you. So in other words, I'm going to love the way I want Mara to love me, I'm going to love her. That's, that's the standard. But Jesus is saying, I give you a new command. Don't just love one another, but here's how the standard now is. Here's the new command. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. How did Jesus love us? He laid down his life for us. He went to the point of death for us. He humbled himself, even in, this, in that passage in John 13 right before, he did the lowest of the low job. He washed the disciples' feet, the one that the master would never do. It was the lowest job in society, the servant boy who would come and would wash the dirty feet. Jesus humbled himself. He said, this is the new command I give you, to love one another as I have loved you. 
And as I will love you, laying my life down as a servant, not just what I want you to do for me, but even if you don't, I lay down my life for you. This is, this is the command. This is the command of Jesus to love one another as he did. In 1 John 3, in the passage that we are looking at, verse 16 says, and this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If, we, if there's any doubt to what Jesus is saying, John is saying, here, here's, remember this new command. It's an old command that Jesus has made new. He's taken it a step deeper that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. To the point that loving other believers, the rest of this passage, verse 35, is the second part of that. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is the distinguishing mark? What is the distinguishing evidence that we belong to Jesus? Laying down our lives for others so that the world will know we belong to him. I wonder how much and how clear it is for the world today when they see Christians that they would say they belong to Jesus because of the way that they love each other. We often spend a lot of time talking about what that group does wrong and 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 what we do right. And what that gets translated in often is for those who are unbelieving is those Christians can't even get along. And I wonder how much our criticism of other groups is heard by those who are unbelieving as why would I want to be part of that? And do they really belong to the one they say they follow? Because Jesus says, love one another as I've loved you. All men will know that you're my disciples, that you belong to me by the way that you love other believers. This is the command. This is the command of God. As we receive his love, it's evidence of who we belong to. So if this is the command, then we must take the second action. And that is to choose our desired action. John gives us two actions that we can choose out of this, out of the command of, no, uh, of loving one another, there are two possibilities that John gives in this, pas- in this passage. And it's our job then to, des- to, to determine what do we want as our outcome. The first option is hate-filled murder. <laughs> Let's be honest. If I were to say how many of us want hate-filled murder as the action that we live out based on love one another, I I don't think anybody would be like, yeah, that's what I want. 
But yet here is what John says. In verse 15, he says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. The context of the passage that we read earlier and that we'll come back to here in a moment is the context of Cain and Abel. And John says that anyone who hates his brother and kills him as Cain killed Abel is a murderer. And murderers do not have eternal life in them. Though, let's be clear, a murderer who repents of that and follows after Jesus no longer fills this role. This is no longer true of them. The past no longer condemns them. They're a new person in Christ. It's the ongoing, if our lifestyle is one of hate-filled murder. It's the converse action of love being evidenced in eternal life. It, It fits very much with what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. And if you would just take a moment to turn with me to the first book of the New Testament, to Matthew chapter five, in verses 21 to 26. Matthew chapter five, verses 21 through 26. This is Jesus's description and teaching on the topic of murder. Matthew chapter five, verses 21 through 26. Jesus, as he talked about what life looks like in the kingdom of God, says this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Here's what they all understood, do not take a life, murder. But Jesus, all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, ups the ante, it's not just the action, it goes to the heart. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which was an Aramaic term of contempt, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, kind of degrades another person in language, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus' Jesus' teaching and John's teaching fit very much together because it's about not just the action of murder, but it's about the heart that led you there. Jesus takes from action only to heart level attitude. He says that if you're angry with another person, if you are contemptuous in your speech towards another, if you call someone a degrading name, a fool, it's as if murder has been committed in the heart of the person. 
And if there are unresolved issues with your brother or your sister and you just are okay with it and let it go and you let it fester in your heart, Jesus says there's a heart issue there. There's a heart issue and it is the same in the eyes of Jesus as murder. I think probably most of us would say, I've never killed anybody. (laughs) I know that sounds kind of crazy, right? I've never murdered anybody. I've never had hate-filled murder, and that's excellent. That's great. I'm glad. But when we take the words of Jesus, this is intense. That if I'm angry with you, and I just let it stew in me, I mean, certainly there can be some righteous anger, and we need to be careful on that line and hold that before the Lord. Lord, is this really righteous anger, or is this just me? I'm, I'm mad at this person. I have a right to be angry with them. They did this. We speak with contempt. We call people names. We, we tear them down. In a prayer time this week, the Lord just made it clear. Galatians 5.16 talks about stop biting. Speaking to the church, stop biting and devouring one another. Or you will destroy each other. How many of you have been in relationships with people or environments with people where it's just like criticism at each other, at each other, at each other. The words that are spoken just tear down. They don't build up. And you know, in some ways, the Lord was saying is that criticism can sometimes permeate our relationships. We need to be aware of that. To the point that, what's Jesus saying? He's saying that kind of language is akin to murder. It's akin to tearing others down instead of having life be built up in them. And so we need to choose our action of what we want to see out of this idea because these are all tangible actions that bring death or destruction to a situation. But if we are going to follow this command of loving one another, the other action that we want to desire of the two options is sacrificial love. There's hate-filled murder or sacrificial love. Verses 16 to 18, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. Jesus, again, is our model. And he is the way that we know what love is. He modeled it by laying his life down as a sacrifice for our sins and is the high example of what love, of truly what love is. And so he is our model and the one we follow what love is. It's not with words or with tongue, it's with sacrifice. Laying our lives down for our brothers and our sisters. John specifically gives the example of having material possessions and seeing another brother or sister in need and essentially being like, hope it works out. We'll pray for you. That's love in in tongue and word. We'll pray for you that God will provide. Sacrificial love is what do I have for my brother or sister in need and how can I take what I have 
and help to meet that need. See, love costs us something. Love, when it is loving like Jesus in relationships with others, love hurts a little bit. Love inconveniences. Love has a price that is paid by the one who is loving. And usually without any intention of getting something back. And so whether it be material possessions or whether it be bearing patiently with another person, whether it be giving our time and being present in a person's life, whether it be using our gifts and our talents to serve the body of Christ so that there would never be an opportunity and never a place where ministries to build up the body of Christ that the Lord is leading to should be lacking. But there should always be enough in the kingdom. Our God is a God of provision and oftentimes it's through his people that he provides, through sacrificial love. I was talking with a dear couple in the church last week and they were remembering a faithful servant of the Lord who has since gone on to be with the Lord. And they were just reminiscing about this person and, and the thing that just kept coming up is how much this person loved and the, how they loved by sacrificing. To the point where, where others, they, they felt like this person just got taken advantage of all the time because of the way they were loving, the way they were sacrificing, the way they were giving what God had entrusted to them away to help others. I thought that's such a beautiful picture of this. Let us not love only with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. These are tangible ways that transform and bring life to a situation. So in light of the command to love one another, in light of the desired action that I hope you have chosen by now in this, when we paint the picture of what these two options are, either hate-filled murder, and I'm gonna guess that none of us are gonna choose that as our desired action, I would hope not, or sacrificial love, that's the desired action. The action will be determined by our attitude, the heart level. The attitude will drive the action. Sometimes we think, I'm just gonna change my actions, but we don't change our attitudes. <laughs> the attitude will drive the action. So align our attitudes. You know, I think about this several years ago now. A man fueled by hate Hate for Jewish people walked into the Tree of Life synagogue not far down the road from us and opened fire, killing a number and wounding others who had gathered to worship. And it was clear from everything that he had posted online that there was a reason. He didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to go to a synagogue and I'm going to shoot people. There was an attitude behind it. And so attitude will drive action. 
And so if we want to change our action and we want to act in a certain way, we must decide how do we align our attitudes first. So in the same way that hate-filled murder and sacrificial love are the two options of action, John gives us two attitudes. And the first is hate-filled rebellion. John admonishes them in verses 12 and 13 not to be like Cain. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. John admonishes them not to be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and who killed Abel. He says, This happened because his actions were evil, but why were his actions evil? I believe if we look in Genesis chapter four, one last passage this morning, we'll be able to see his attitude drove his action. So if you would turn quickly with me to the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible to Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four and verses one through eight is the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter four, beginning in verse one. It says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel, the younger of the two, kept flocks, and Cain, the older, worked the soil. In the course of time, time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Verse six, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Following the fall, Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel flocks, Cain works the soil. We assume from all of this that Cain and Abel knew the right way to bring sacrifices to God. We assume this because verse seven, God says, if you do what is right. He's saying, if you do what is right. In other words, there had been instruction. You know what the right thing is. You know the right way to bring these offerings. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And so Cain chose one avenue, Abel chose another. Abel's sacrifice was accepted, bringing the fat portions, which I think it would be fair for us to understand as God set up the sacrificial system that this was the way, it was costly, the life of an animal, not the first fruits of the harvest, but to bring this this animal. Whatever the reason was, they knew what was right. Cain and Abel knew what was right. Abel did it, Cain did not. And it made Cain angry. Cain was angry at God 
for not accepting his sacrifice. And God comes to him and says, why are you so angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But sin, sin is crouching at your door. What what a picture that is. The power of sin, the choice of sin coming. But the attitude of Cain drives him. The attitude of, I'm going to do it my way. The attitude of, I hate God and I rebel against his ways. You know what is right, Cain. If you do what is right, you will be accepted. If you don't, you won't be. Here is the way. Cain says, I have a better way. Anger, hate, fill him. And to take his anger out at God, he takes Abel out into the fields and kills him. All of this was because he chose in his heart rebellion against God. Hate filled him. The action followed the attitude. God gives him a way out. Sin's crouching at your door. Master it. Change your attitude. Change your attitude. Change your attitude. Change your attitude to what? To loving obedience. Change your attitude to loving obedience. This is, what, this is what Abel did. He kind of gets lost in the story, doesn't he? He's just the, the victim of it. But Abel, Abel shows us the way. We contrast Cain with Abel, and he demonstrates loving obedience. He did what was right, and his sacrifice was accepted. He brings the costly sacrifice according to the right way that God had laid out. But even more than the action, it was the attitude. The attitude demonstrated and fed the action. Attitude feeds action. Friends, our attitudes are going to determine the actions that we take. So here's where I want to believe the Lord has us to land for this message, and this right here. Our attitudes get shaped in the presence of God. You can tell somebody all day long, change your attitude, change your attitude, change your attitude. But where it gets shaped is in the presence of the Lord when we're in his presence, when we're spending time with him in worship and in prayer, when we're allowing the words of scripture to wash over us, in his presence when he speaks and when we commune with him in prayer, when we're lifting up his name in worship, when we're declaring his goodness, when we turn our, our focus off of the inward and we turn it upward to him and we, we come to him and we receive the love of God, our attitudes begin to change. He has a way of changing us that just somebody saying change your attitude or change your action of submitting ourselves to the presence of the Lord and allowing him to come and having this high view of his love and saying, Lord, I want that love. I need your love. I need your presence. Would you come and fill me with your love? Would you come and saturate we with your love? Our attitudes begin to change. The way we begin to see people changes and our 
our love for them, we begin to get drawn to people, not because I am like loving well, but more because the love of the Father is flowing, flowing through us. This summer, we woke up actually on a Sunday morning, getting ready and getting showers, and all of a sudden we realized didn't take much to figure this out. There was cold water in the shower. Thankfully, it was June. It wasn't February. But I began to look and got some help looking. Thought it was a hot water tank. Hot water tank seemed to be doing okay. We realized it wasn't anything to do with the hot water tank. It was the gas line. So the gas company came out and they looked at it. Yep, you got a gas, your gas line is blocked. You're going to need somebody to come and replace 80 feet of gas line to the house. So got a guy, he came out and he said, you know what, there's going to be an easier way potentially to do this. We can use the gas, we can take the gas line where it comes in at the meter at the road all the way up to the house and we can take the gas pipe that is there, that that." inch and a half or so, inch and a quarter steel pipe, and we can run new line through it. And there's one place where they had to dig up in the middle of the yard where the blockage was, but that was it. They didn't have to dig 80 feet from road to house. They were able to use the existing pipe as a conduit to feed that new gas line through so that now where there was blockage, gas was now able to flow again. That steel pipe became a conduit for a new line. Friends, that's all the Father is asking of us. He's asking you and I to be conduit for the love of the Father to flow through to others. He's asking us to simply be in positions where we sit in his presence and we receive the love of the Father where he changes our attitudes and then begins to drive our actions where it is now him loving through us. My love for people changed when I realized it wasn't my love for them, when it was learning to receive the Father's love and allowing that to flow through me so that Jesus, by his spirit, begins to be the one loving through us it takes the pressure off of us immensely and it changes the quality of our love but it all comes as we receive from the father it's often been said that we give away what we receive we give away in the kingdom of God what we receive and so may we be people who come to the presence of the Father, who have a high view of his love and say, in view of the great love that God has for us, we sit in the presence of the Father to receive it. Jesus said, a new command I give you, as I have loved you, so you love one another. May his love fill us so we might love as Jesus loved. Amen. Father, we thank you for your perfect love. 
Increase our vision, our view of your love. May it be higher and higher. May we see the sacrifice of Jesus in increasingly more profound and deep ways. As we sang this morning, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. Now it's my joy to honor you. Oh God, as you lift our vision of your love, may it drive us to sit with you to receive your love. That our attitudes would be changed in your presence, changed as we spend time in your word, spend time in worship, spend time in prayer, spend time with your people, that you would change our attitudes, convict us where there may be those places of hate-filled rebellion that would lead to hate-filled murder. Though maybe not by killing a person physically, but with anger in our hearts or contempt in our words or name-calling or biting or devouring others with our language. So that we might be people who are conduits of the love of the Father for others. Pour out your grace upon us. In this way, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.